We are going to continue our conversation about the First Amendment, and with us to discuss uh, those issues that are have been in the news lately is one of the foremost experts on the topic, Professor Ken Paulson. He is the director of the Free Speech Center and a professor at the Recording Industry Department at Middle Tennessee State University. He's Dean Emeritus, uh, Emeritus of the school's College of Media and Entertainment. He's a former editor-in-chief of USA Today. Uh, he's also a fellow University of Illinois College of Law grad. Welcome to the show, Professor Paulson. How are you? I'm good. Delighted to join you. Where did you dig that song up? (laughs) If you Google songs about the First Amendment, that's the first thing that comes up. It uh, it's really danceable, isn't it? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Um, but it is short, and I think a lot of people um, do not, you know, realize that it's there's very few words in the First Amendment. And I remember I was actually at the College of Law, where where you and I both went to law school, and Justice Rehnquist was there giving a speech, and someone asked him a question about the First Amendment, and would you know, he pulls out a little book from the back of his uh, pocket, and he. He looks at it, reads it, and and then answer the question. You know, so even <laughs> even Judge Justice Rehnquist, with all his brain cells, uh, had to reread the First Amendment to make sure he uh, he knew what it said. It's you know, a little disturbing that he had to crib that answer. <laughs> right. You would think he'd know it by now. Anyway, let's let's start with obscenity. And I don't know if you probably didn't hear uh, my prior guest, but he was the prosecutor who declined charges when George Carlin was arrested at Summerfest in Milwaukee in 1972 for doing his routine, the seven dirty words you can't say on television. He declined the charges and then was called for the defense uh, to testify because he was at the, at the concert and uh, testified that there was no disturbance of the peace. So it was kind of an interesting uh, uh, phenomenon there. But let's talk about obscenity just briefly. What, you know, and it's so funny, I don't know if you heard the advertisement that just preceded my show. It was Badass Nurses. And it, it was funny because I, I usually don't hear that word on radio a whole lot, but apparently it, that's off the list of if it ever was on the list. Uh, what is what is the status and how does the how do courts determine what is obscene in an illegal setting? We know there's a lot of confusion. A lot of people intermingle obscenity and profanity, and they're not the same thing at all. Obscenity is a legal term. It's defined by the Supreme Court um, as being something that violates community standards, appeals to the prurient interest, which means it's sexually appealing, uh, and has no redeeming social, artistic, political, or scientific value. So so most of the time when people are using four-letter words, they're not obscene because very few four-letter words make anyone sexually aroused. They're not in the prurient interest. Um, and so for the most part, almost nothing is obscene anymore. Kitty porn is. Some extremely gross pornography, I suppose, would be. But there aren't many convictions for obscenity anymore. But the exception is in broadcast. And, of course, the gentleman who spoke to you earlier knows all about that. There are tougher standards for radio and television broadcast, but not cable. And if you use those words in a, during a time part of the day that children could hear it, the FCC can come after you, try to get your license, or fine you. Um, but that also goes away at 11 p.m. That's when Safe Harbor kicks in. And honestly, WJN, any radio station, could, could carry George Carlin's routine or, or similarly graphic content and not suffer consequences under the law. Interesting, but they choose not to probably because they don't want to offend people, I would imagine. 
Exactly right. And what about you know rap music? And has that has that been through that that legal ringer where um, some of the more offensive uh, words and, and and aspects of violence and violence toward women and police officers has that uh, been tested? Sure. Once again, it all comes down to radio and television. There are a lot of cases just two decades ago involving Eminem, who was the poster boy. He was the George Carlin of the rap era. And stations were threatened with losing losing their licenses because they played Eminem. By now, radio stations just see no interest in pushing the envelope. And the alternative for most listeners is, of course, streaming, which cannot be censored. Um, So radio plays it pretty straight. And uh, otherwise, you can uh, say anything in public you'd like to. Uh, The days of two live crew being hauled in by the Miami-Dade Police Department are over. Interesting, interesting. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit. Let's switch topics, but still within the First Amendment. The issue of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision regarding the Texas law. Can you tell our listeners what this law said and then what the Supreme Court's ruling was? Sure thing. There is a, a trend among conservative states right now, uh, Texas and Florida are two foremost examples, where they believe, the people in charge believe that uh, people of a conservative viewpoint are being having their speech suppressed on Facebook and Twitter and other social media, um, and, they're, and they're saying it's unfair. Facebook and Twitter uh, say, no, we're not, we're not kicking anybody off because of their point of view. We're kicking them off because they're posting threats, misinformation, things that damage the public uh, welfare. Well, that that hasn't slowed the governments down. And and what we're talking about today is legislation in Texas, which would have allowed people to sue Facebook or Twitter if they kick somebody off the platform for their point of view, for their opinion. In addition, it also required disclosure of of uh, of how those face how Facebook and Twitter actually conduct their business in terms of determining what content is okay. The Supreme Court just Tuesday decided to step in and put that law on hold. It was a majority opinion of five four, uh, but really unsettling if you believe in the free speech rights of of corporations. Um, the, the First Amendment is pretty simple. It says Congress shall make no law. It's designed to protect all of us, the public, the businesses, everybody from overboard government behavior that would limit our free expression. And every business has a First Amendment right to decide what it stands for. Chick-fil-A decides it stands for not being open on Sunday because it, it believes in Christianity and the day a day of rest. That's a business exercising its First Amendment right. When Facebook and Twitter do the same thing by saying we will not have misinformation, we will not have harassment, they're exercising their First Amendment right of free speech. But what is being attempted in Texas and Florida and elsewhere is to take that right to run their own businesses away from those companies and order Facebook to continue to give access to their private business, their private platform, um, so that they can't determine what their standards are. In my view, that's very wrong. But what I'm concerned about is that Supreme Court action we talked about. Yeah, five to four, they stopped the law. But there are four judges on the Supreme Court, and they're not all conservatives, 
who've decided that that's worth taking a second look at and that maybe things have changed enough that we probably should consider limiting what Facebook and Twitter can do in terms of kicking people off. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about that. And, and it's it's a really good point to make because this is not, you know, government action is different than a private company's. You know, like WGN can tell me what I can say and what I can't say. And if I don't abide by it, I'm fired. And there's I have First Amendment rights, but WGN is not the government. So there's a whole different right. way to look at this. When we come back, we'll be talking more about this really fascinating topic. And the topic I want to address is, are we ever going to have governmental regulation of Twitter? and media platforms. And then we're going to talk about something obviously more important, and that's the Johnny Depp trial. You're listening to the Karen Conti Show on WGN. We're talking to Professor Ken Paulson, who is the director of the Free Speech Center and uh, the recording industry um, department at Middle Tennessee State University. And we're talking about the First Amendment on various topics that kind of are in the news this week, a whole bunch of them. Uh, thank you for joining me again, Professor Paulson. Um, I wanted to talk, finish this conversation about social media regulation. And we were talking about the, the Supreme Court decision that came down on Tuesday that struck down, uh, or at least put the Texas law on hold. Uh, so people are going to say, well, listen, don't I have a First Amendment right to be on Twitter saying whatever I want. How is it that I don't have a First Amendment right? And can you explain again why the First Amendment doesn't really apply to that argument? The most basic understanding of First Amendment is in the first handful of words, Congress shall make no law. Government shall make no law. It doesn't say Facebook shall make no rule. It is it is only about protecting all of us against overstepping by the government. So if you've got a private company, you get to make the rules. People forget when they fill out a form to join Facebook or Twitter when they apply, they agree to follow the rules of that platform. It's a contract. We will give you this service for free. In exchange, you promise not to be abusive, not to invade privacy, not to be prof- wildly profane and, and harass people. And when you do that, you get kicked off. That's what's so startling about any Supreme Court justice justice thinking this is worthy of additional attention. It is a business relationship, and the government shouldn't have a voice. Those who advocate government get involved are actually diminishing our collective freedoms. So there are a lot of people, though, both conservative and liberal, who say, you know, Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, these are, you know, people get, I don't know what the latest stat is about the number and the percentage of people who get their news from social media as opposed to other uh, other forums. Uh, what, what in the world are we going to do? Are we going to allow... I mean, is there a time and a place for governmental regulation of these platforms? Meaning, could there be like an FCC for social media that will make regulations and rules about what can be said and not said? And and does that? I sure hope not. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that would be really scary. I mean, it's a slippery uh, slope. The then, FCC. yeah. Why is it that radio is regulated? It's because everyone can't have a radio station. Everyone can't have a television station. It's limited bandwidth. And that's how the government justifies regulating what WGN Radio puts on the air. It's because everyone can't have that. In in America, in the world, in 2022, everyone can, can create a social media network of their own. This is not a shortage of those. Instead, what's happening is people are t- making noise about 
we ought to manage these like utilities, like gas companies, like electric companies. Well, the reason government has a voice about utilities is because the people who run utilities need easements over public land and private land. You have to have some coordination with the government to make that happen. You don't need any help from the government to run uh, Facebook or Twitter, and they've done very nicely without them. What is actually happening here is they're saying if you're successful enough, if you're really successful and a lot of people use your service, then the government should be able to control what you say or what you agree to have said on your platform. If that's the case, if that's the new standard, if you're successful, government has a voice, Apple better look out. Um, every company that, that has a huge impact because of the quality, scope, and reach of their products better look out because government is now asserting you're really big, you're really popular, and we're going to do something about you. That is frightening. And I don't know, government just, when you get government involved, it is a very, very slippery slope. Um, let's let's turn to, uh, and let's play just the dramatic uh, uh, voice of the, uh, in the courtroom, Andrew, the um, Johnny Depp trial. Can you play that for us? In the Washington Post online edition, quote, I spoke up against sexual violence and faced our culture's wrath. That has to change, end quote. Do you find that Mr. Depp has proven all the elements of defamation? Answer, yes. So this week, uh, if you watched uh, the drama in the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial, Johnny Depp uh, won on all of his counts uh, and received approximately $10 million uh, in verdict against Amber Heard. Amber Heard won of her counts uh, and lost the remaining counts. She uh, had a $2 million uh, verdict against Johnny Depp. So, you know, first of all, as a former editor for USA Today, Professor Paulson, what do you think about the Wall Street journals are... Uh, it was the Washington Post, I guess. It was the Washington Post's um, involvement in this. Do you, do you have any idea or opinion as to why they weren't sued as well as Amber Heard? Well, first of all, Johnny Depp wanted to win, and it's much easier to file suit against uh, somebody that you've gone to war with already in the public eye. Uh it would not be go as well for him against the Washington Post. In the first place, the Washington Post could point out that it really did exercise care. It has it has columns in which people share their opinions, but there's nothing on the face of it that would reveal to them that she was not telling the truth. We also now know that the ACLU and others helped her with that, and they were trying to do it all in the public interest of spreading the word about uh, domestic violence. So there's nothing here that even vaguely looks like the Washington Post was anything but unprofessional. It's a different matter when your spouse makes these statements or publishes these statements and would be in a position to know whether it's true or not. And that's why she became the target and not the Washington Post. And and like you said, you know, when, when you get the Washington Post involved as a defendant, when you, they bring with them their powerhouse attorneys, it probably would have been, not to say that uh, Amber Heard's defense was not a good defense, but you, you're going to have power and strength in dollars, I would imagine. Right. And even though people are sometimes skeptical about, uh, you know, government and, I mean, excuse me, about the media, the Washington Post has a sterling reputation in terms of truth and uh and trying to do the right thing and and uh, that's a much tougher sell to a jury than than attacking an angry spouse what what do you make of this this trial i'm, I'm sure you didn't sit glued to your television <laughs> set for the last six weeks because like you you have a day job and i do right. too but is there any any um 
Is there any bottom line First Amendment uh, opinion you have on what this means, or, or is this just an isolated situation with certain words that the jury had to parse? It's kind of fascinating. I did not watch much of it, but I was stunned by the number of people who were engaged with it. When you strip away all the anger, all the animosity, all the lurid testimony, it's just a libel case. It is It is a kind of, I mean, all libel cases are kind of dry, and this one just had ornaments all over it. But the bottom line, it's very simple. Did someone say something? that damaged somebody else's reputation. And and what they said, cannot is that true or false? And if it's false, did it cause damages? And that's the whole case right there. Something said that was false that caused damages leads to a libel verdict. That's what happened in this one. Uh, it's just that when you get celebrities involved, really relatively mundane court cases become something else again. You can't call the OJ case anything garden variety, but in the end, it was just a murder case, but it became, you know, a soap opera for better part of a year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Professor Ken Paulson, thank you so much for joining us here. I, I'm, I know you're going to come back again as we're going to have these issues on an ongoing basis. Uh, Professor Ken Paulson, the director of the Free Speech Center at the Middle Tennessee State University. Have a great afternoon. Thank you so much. Thank you.